the sound of praise for your Sunday morning. The only one who could ever teach me. Introducing Reverend A.R. Bernard of the Christian Cultural Center. Was a son of a preacher man. And Rabbi Joseph Potasnik of Religion on the Line. The only one who could ever teach me. Now, on Talk Radio 77 WABC, here's the Reb and the Rabbi, where faith matters. Good morning, I'm Rabbi Joseph Potasnik. And I'm Reverend A.R. Bernard. Reverend, people often ask me, when do the holidays end? Because we've had a lot of Jewish holidays in succession. I said, well, it depends. For lay people, the holidays have ended. For clergy, now the holidays begin. <laughs> because they worked, <laughs> they worked all of those holidays. Uh, Reverend, let's, talking about clergy, let's take a moment to say uh, thank you to Bishop Nicholas DiMarzio. Uh, who for ah, 18 yes. years served as the Bishop of Brooklyn Queens Diocese. And he's been very close to us. And I, I thank him for something he did years ago. He came from New Jersey. And when he was in New Jersey, he developed the principles uh, to challenge anti-Semitism. These are principles that must be in place if you want to challenge anti-Semitism. And I said, that mm. is something that I find very heartening to have someone who's not Jewish, but who stands up you know, who's anti-anti-Semitism in a very public way. Uh, and he's yeah. been a great friend of the interfaith community. We've been with him many times. Um, and uh, I wish him well in this new chapter of life. Yeah, well, I'm glad you said new chapter because guys like him, they don't really retire. They rewire. <laughs> Guy, guys like us, we transition <laughs> to something else. Yeah. We, we can't retire. But yeah, it's been a great friendship over the years getting to know each other, being at odds with each other <laughs> as, yeah. as we looked at the spiritual landscape changing in, in, in Brooklyn. You know, we, we've been in Brooklyn for 42, 43 years. My goodness, mm. it's been a long time, man, four decades in ministry. But uh, here he is, and we wish him uh, all the best. Yeah. yeah, and his successor is the most Reverend Robert J. Brennan, coming in, for, who's, mm. I think, born in the Bronx. Uh, so he's a New York native and... Went out to Columbus, Ohio, now coming back. Uh, so, look, this is a very, this is a challenging time uh, in the history of uh, religious life. And yeah. it's, it's going to take a, a very, very creative, committed approach uh, to get people into those houses of worship uh, after we've gone through the COVID where some people stayed away and some still stay away. Uh, how are we going to rebuild in a meaningful way? And probably using the hybrid model where you have the technology together. And just speaking of that technology, I was in I was in the Christian Cultural Center, uh, which you lead in the most magnificent way. Wait, wait. I know that place. It yeah. sounds familiar. <laughs> well, I gave you directions uh, so you can get there. But, you know, it was a, a moving experience because, the first of all, the music and the message. Uh, you sit there um, and you're just entranced by the, the the intensity of that music it's not just you know something minimal you have to you pay attention to that music it, it captures your attention and then you come on and you know you just kill it with a with a message that resonates that people you know it's it's not superficial it's where people can learn uh and it, it also shows a lot of preparation on your part and you use technology to impart the message you're there you know that's not a that's not a blackboard with chalk uh, no, that is a <laughs> that is a computer whiteboard. Yeah. So what happens is, uh, it's I'm actually writing on a computer screen that mm -hmm. looks like a blackboard on wheels. Right. Uh, we did that intentionally, but it goes up on 
the screens uh, throughout the auditorium, and you can actually download it to, to your phone yeah, uh, or your computer. Yeah. So people are, and look, and it is a learning experience. I, I will tell you, too much of the homily, the sermons, uh, whatever you call it, is, is so motivational speak, you know, it's like motivational speeches, uh, which is good to a degree, but it doesn't really root people, ground them uh, in the faith. In fact, that was my message, roots, you yeah, know, having yeah, yeah, anchors yeah. And, 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 and things that sustained you in, in, in life. And that's, that's my criticism of too much of what goes on in church services today, especially in, in our faith tradition. I was talking to a rabbi this past week, and she said to me that she gets some criticism because she talks about issues of the day. I said, Rabbi, mm-hmm. but what you do, which I don't think people appreciate very much, as they should, some don't, but many do, is that you look at issues of the day through the religious lens. What does my tradition go. say about the issues of the day? That's what I think people want to know. Looking at the yep. problems of today, you know, how does my, how does my faith enable me to, to cope with the challenges of today? That they do want to know. Right. Absolutely. I'm going to be doing a uh, panel discussion um, October the uh, 8th, actually. And we're going to talk about the role of religion in mental health. Mm-hmm. And we play a very significant yeah. role in that. You know, you and I were down at uh, 9-11 in response to the, 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 the crisis there. And many of first responders, uh, they wanted to talk to their clergy. They, they want to speak to their rabbi, their imam their minister, before going to speak to a yep, mental health yep, professional. Yeah, yeah, uh, yep. I know we're, we're going to be introducing our guest shortly, but I, uh, I want to just say to you, uh, as it as is said, the Christian Cultural Center, Mazel Tov, congratulations. You became grandparents again, didn't you? I, I, yeah, but what, what started that conversation between you and I was Instagram yeah. and, and the fact that, what, 10 to 12-year-olds? Can you uh, believe you, it? You were saying? Yeah, let's, let's, let's remove more innocence from the life of kids. Let's deprive them of some of the childhood experiences <laughs> that are so important. Now, you know, there was the thought of having a designed Instagram program for kids 10 through 12. There's a pause on it right now because a lot of people complained, and I recommend the article by S.E. Cup, and I, I like S.E. Cup. I've been with her a few times, mm-hmm. and she's very thoughtful. She yeah. says, come on, this is not what we need right now for kids. Uh, you know. Kids need to have a child's life. I, Rabbi, you just said, you know, we just welcome our 25th grandchild. Uh, my youngest son and his wife had their first child, uh, a girl, and already I got in the mail an uh, application for a debit card for the newborn. Yeah. Where are we going with this? Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> give it to me. Just give me the pass, you know, the passcode. Just, so I can use I'll it. Give you the All info. Right. We have a great guest on today. We try to have someone who uh, contributes much to the quality of the program. Judge Jonathan Lippman, who's uh, chief judge, former chief judge for the highest court in New York State, and also uh, on the commission uh, for justice and incarceration reform. So we'll talk about the vaccine, constitutionality of the vaccine as well as Rikers, because there's so much discussion going on about where do we go yeah. next with the crisis on Rikers Island. Stay tuned. Sounds good. So stay tuned for more of The Rev and the Rabbi right here on 77 WABC. Where faith matters. The Rev and the Rabbi. Talk Radio 77 WABC. 
Welcome back. I'm Rabbi Joseph Potasnik. And I'm Reverend A.R. Bernard. Reverend Bernard, we are honored to have the former chief judge of New York State's highest court and the chair of the Commission on New York City Criminal Justice and Incarceration Reform. I'm referring to Judge Jonathan Lippman, who I've come to know and admire uh, over the years. We've been good friends, and it's really a, a privilege to have you with us today, Judge. No, thank you. My pleasure to be with both of you. A delight. So one of the questions uh, we'd like to discuss with you, let's talk about the vaccination, the mandate. You know, you look at the Constitution, everybody quotes life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. But nowhere does it say that you have the, the right to endanger my life. And this is what's always bothered me. People talk about what they can do with their body, and I get that. But don't put my body in jeopardy. Can you look at that mandate vaccination requirement from a constitutional viewpoint? Yeah, I can. I mean, the, the, the law is clear that individual uh, liberty that you have under the Constitution is not absolute. The state has what we call the police power, the power to protect public health and safety. And in performing that role, um, it does not. It's been found going back to uh, uh, 1905. Uh, in the Supreme Court of the United States, uh, States in a case called J- Jacobson versus Massachusetts, that exercising that right to protect public health and safety is not in violation of your right to equal protection of law under the 14th Amendment. And I give you just an example that that liberty is not absolute. When you when your car comes to a red light, you know you have to stop. There's no such thing as total freedom because society has to uh, function and the public has to be protected. And that's why the mandate has, you know, overwhelmingly been enforced since that time. There's another Supreme Court case in 1922 that was also took that position. The original one had to do with the smallpox vaccine. And it has clearly been upheld and will be upheld. Hmm. Rev? I, I, yeah, I'm trying to take notes here, you know that, um, because this is such a big deal. The new governor of the state of New York, Kathy Hochul, was uh, actually with our congregation last Sunday, and she gave a presentation, and she, you know, said that the vaccine was a gift from God, which, you know, I would, uh, I would have tempered that. Science is a gift from God. No doubt how we do and what we do with science is another story. But um, there were there's a lot of pushback against uh, her comments that, you know, she's going to enforce this mandate. I took some heat also. I tried to redirect a rabbi, but he wouldn't take it. Uh-huh, uh, <laughs> I defended you, but, and I will continue. Uh, you def- until I, I can't. That. Until I can't. <laughs> but, but, <clears throat> but there's fear. People are afraid. You know, I, I look, and you know, so much has been politicized, uh, Judge. You know that uh, in in our society now. Sure. But there are people that really see it as an infringement upon their uh, their individual rights, their personal liberties. So, for you to uh, quote precedents, I think that's so important for our listeners to hear. Well, well I also give you, you know, someone who I think uh, knows about things up high. Uh, Pope Francis said it right when he said it's an act of love. To to you know be vaccinated, is it love in relation to your fellow human beings and fellow c- uh, citizens? 
So, you know, that's a pretty good reference. That, yeah. that, you know, it's, that, it's interesting in our prayers. Maybe this vaccine is okay, yeah, you know? You know it's, in our prayers, <laughs> yes. we give thanks for knowledge and God giving us not the ability to acquire knowledge. Uh, and therefore, uh, we have great admiration for people who pursue uh, different fields of, uh, of their profession. And uh, medicine is one of them, the ability to heal. Uh, we praise doctors in our tradition because they're healing. So the, the fact that we have a vaccine, the fact that we have people who are proficient in that area and save lives, uh, to me, it makes it inexcusable uh, not to get vaccinated uh, unless maybe someone has a religious exemption. And from a Jewish standpoint, I cannot find any religious exemption. Jewish and Rabbi, think about, think about in past years, what if we never uh, required people to take smallpox right. and polio and all these, these different advances in science? Where would we be? This is no different. I think the only difference is that it's all happened so quickly. And the development of the vaccine was such a scientific wonder that, uh, that you know, again, uh, uh, not to uh, uh, overdo this business about a gift from God and all of this kind of thing, but certainly science is such a, a blessing for all of us, you know? Mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, and there's some ideologies that are clashing here because there's a question as to just how much control government should have in our lives. What is the role of government uh, in society, I, I mean, besides restraining evil, you know, preserving order and and promoting justice, uh, can government can government overreach? And that's that's a big question, you know. Yeah, you know, uh, Jonathan- well, again, it goes it goes to the nature of liberty and freedom. Yeah. Do you have the freedom? to harm your fellow citizen by by not being cognizant of the damage that can be done if you aren't vaccinated and and we all get it that 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 government should have its limitations and does but where that line is blurred when you have something that's so basic for all of us to live in peace and freedom and health does do you do you around the edges, limit people's liberty in order to promote the public good, the public health, the public safety. Yeah, you know, uh, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, a great thinker, taken from us too soon, uh, has a book entitled Morality. Rev, I know you have that book as well. Uh, And in it, he talks about the common good and the failure of some people uh, to see what's in our best interest. Uh, They focus on the me, on the I, it's only what's good for me. I don't care about what's good for you. Uh, and he said, when you look at religious traditions, so much is written in the plural. Prayers are in the plural. The word life in Hebrew is in the plural uh, because we have to think more about us. And you look at the vaccination, the fact that it's protective of us is something that makes it paramount. Uh, you know, it, it, to me, it's, it's, it's not a hard reach to say religion mandates you get vaccinated. I speak, I speak of my religion. I'm not a spokesperson for others. Uh, but I, I, I think it's a requirement because you have to. But it's it. it's true in ours also, yeah. Rabbi. It's about the the dignity, the worth, mm-hmm. uh, the life of the individual, but also the the common good and our responsibility towards the common good. But you know, look, it, with with social media, people want to jump on the bandwagon for anything that goes viral. 
Everybody has a platform yep. to give an opinion. So it just adds to the misinformation and confusion. And we've got all these voices, and we don't know. Who do we believe? The media, the government, yeah, science? I, clergy, clergy. But I agree, I agree with all that, and the clergy is so important. But let me say, too, from my parochial perspective as you know, a judge, the former chief judge, a lawyer, the law is also supposed to promote the public good. And I believe that, that this history, these precedents, go to the fact that the law also serves the public, that it evolves, that it recognizes the dignity of the individual. So I think it all comes together in a kind of seamless way, you know? You know, there's a letter to the editor that appeared in the New York Times uh, this past week. I don't know if you saw it. But a young person who suffers with uh, juvenile uh, rheumatoid arthritis, and he says he's in great pain. And the only relief for that pain is a certain medication. But the medication also is given to those who have COVID who are unvaccinated. And they're in hospitals. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he says, as a result of that, I cannot obtain my medication because priority is given to the unvaccinated. So look at the ramifications here. When you don't get vaccinated, mm -hmm. you're depriving someone else of getting, you know, vital medicine because you're higher up on the pain scale. Uh it's just it, it's unfortunate. We should not be at this point as an enlightened society. Uh, this is you know not, we're not in the Middle Ages here. Uh, so, I, but I, but you know what? It all it all comes together with this sense of that person who needs that medicine is entitled to justice. And you know, if you go back to the Old Testament and Deuteronomy, where it talks about justice, justice shall you yeah, pursue for right. rich and poor and high and low alike. Right. As long as we've had lawyers and judges. We also have this idea of, of protecting others, of humanity, of, of everyone's entitled, so to speak, to their day in court and to justice. And, and you know, and the, the whole issue, when you look at the totality of this, does getting this back, uh, vaccine serve the interest of humanity, bring justice to everybody? Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I, I think that it, it all comes together nicely, but certainly, as you indicate, you know, the, this is a world of, uh, of everyone, you know, has a, 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 their view, and sometimes in a very polarized way, and social media promotes that, and sometimes we miss the big picture here, yeah. you know? We're talking with former Chief Judge of New York State Highest Court and also Chair of the Commission uh, on Justice and Incarceration Reform. And that brings us to a topic that is receiving much attention and uh, also for many seems to be controversial. And uh, Judge, I want to take this moment to thank you. And Reverend Bernard and I were with you at a press conference uh, talking about the closing of Rikers. We went on a tour of Rikers, and I have to say I walked out of that really shaken uh, by what I saw. Uh, you know, you can read descriptions in various newspaper accounts, but when you go in and you see it, uh, you say, I cannot believe uh, that people are subjected to those kinds of inhuman conditions. Look, I believe in fair punishment. Um, and as Commissioner Shea say, some people work very hard to get to prison, and they, 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 should, face, right. yeah, they should face the consequences, <laughs> but there's a way to do yeah, so. Yeah. Talk about Rikers. Full, where, you know, full, full disclosure, Rabbi, the Cardinal was with us also yeah. as we stood out. Yeah. Uh, at that press conference, and we were there uh, because we felt that the conditions in Rikers, you know, warranted closing it down. But how do you dismantle it? What do you do yeah. with these inmates, yeah. Judge? 
Well, you know, uh, just to bring you up to date on a, a thumbnail sketch, this place today is a threat to the life of everyone there. You know, on any given day, uh, almost a third of the corrections officers are not there. They're working double and triple shifts. Uh, there's no offices to bring people to medical appointments or to court. COVID is the positivity rate is much higher uh, there than any place else. Um, and 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 the bottom line is we have to have a path out of this. And what our commission recommended, is, and you of all the clergy have been so wonderful in supporting us, is that we close down this miserable stain on our society and our city and build smaller, more humane uh, jails with light and air that treat people as human beings. And right now, this mass incarceration model, which is Rikers, is on the edge of exploding. It's decrepit. It's dysfunctional. It's dangerous. You know, this out of sight, out of mind doesn't work. Rikers is a disaster. There's weapons there. There's broken uh, uh, toilets, uh, uh, decaying, noxious gas. Uh, um, it's just a very dangerous place. And without doing two things, one, putting shovels in the ground to close this place, because you can't close it without some place to put people who are violent and need to be incarcerated. That has to be done at the same time. We have to stabilize the, what's going on there now by getting offices in there. By decarcerating, don't put anybody there unless they absolutely have to be there, that get people out of there who just are there because of a technical violation. Um, these things have to be done now, and there are all kinds of lawsuits, and uh, the feds should take over, this one should take over. We need to, to today change these dangerous conditions, take very specific steps, and on a parallel track, get shovels in the ground to, to build smaller, more humane jails, because the law is today that by the end of 2026, Rikers Island cannot be used for jail facilities. So it's a horrendous situation that has to be addressed in the short and long run. So you know, you know what Judge, happens. with that said, uh, I'm sorry, Rabbi. I'm good. Uh, I, I was going to say, with that said, uh, Judge, does it bring up the question of our changing approach to justice, the restorative justice versus punitive yes. justice? Yes. Uh, can you unpack yes. that? Because there's a, there's a difference in how we approach justice, correct? Well, well, absolutely. Jails like Rikers are a warehouse for human beings. And that's not what this should be. To the extent you have to be in one of these places, it should rehabilitate you. It should prepare you for your next phase of your life. And more than that, it should treat you as a human being and help you to flourish. You know, if you treat people, uh, you know, with disrespect, that's how they come back and treat the system. So rather than rehabilitate people, people who are in these places are, are come out far worse than when they went in. It's the mass incarceration model. Out of sight, out of mind, one way in, one way out. And you know what? It doesn't work. That's, jail should be a last resort. And when it is that last resort, you have to help people and not just punish them. And Rikers has become a place where every day the violence is, is, is just 
incomprehensible and can't be justified, you know, whether by uh, on a moral, religious basis or any other basis. People have a right to be treated as human beings. And again, uh, uh, not to be uh, corporal punishment is not the order of the day. The order of the day is helping people and keeping them out of these godforsaken places. Uh, uh, you know, if they don't want to be there. Reverend A.R. Bernard, Rabbi Joseph Petasnik, the Rev and the Rabbi. Talk Radio 77 WABC and the all-new WABCRadio.com. We're talking with Judge Jonathan Lippman, who's the chair of the Commission on uh, Justice and Incarceration Reform. Judge, let's go to something extreme here. Uh, you know, you've heard advocates saying, let everybody out. Open the prison, let everybody out. No prison. There are those who've spoken about bail reform in the sense that you commit a crime, you're out. You don't go to jail. Address, though, you know, I mean, there's got to be a fair, I think the word fair is, you know, should be operative. We want a fair system. We don't want people who commit crimes to be released again to commit the crimes again. That's that's not an ideal. I agree. To me, my philosophy is simple. If you're going to hurt somebody, you know, then we protect society from you. But that doesn't mean that, uh, um, on the other hand, that everyone has to go to jail for the slightest infraction. There's a balance. And the balance to me is that, um, that yes, you can have bail reform. It shouldn't be that poor people have to stay in jail because they can't pay bail or the real mobsters can get out because they have money. But when you look at bail reform, there has to be judicial discretion, you know, judges should be looking. And are you a threat to public safety? And that public safety consideration is so important. So, yes, I think bail is an outdated cash bail. The way it's been implemented all these years is an outdated concept. But that doesn't mean that if you do away with cash bail, that that means you put everyone on the street and the public be damned. That's a, that's a totally wrong way to look at it. So I think you can have justice. And public safety at the same time, you can have reduced uh, crime and reduced jail population at the same time. And what it takes is judgment and balance and not going to an extreme. You know, when we had Rikers, the whole business at Rikers, there were people who said, oh, great, tear down jails, tear down Rikers, but no new jails. We're against any new jails. <laughs> to me, that is that is just defies the imagination. There are people for the good of society who have to be incarcerated. Again, they should be treated with dignity and respect, but the public has rights too. Again, as we said before, there's no such thing as absolute freedom. You go do whatever you want and you keep doing it and no one's going to bother you. That's anarchy and it's dangerous for a free society. Uh, Judge, what do you say to the fact that a large number of the inmates at Rikers had and have mental health problems? Where do we catch that? Is it in the processing uh, when they perpetrate a crime? Um, how do we end up with, with, with that reality? And, and the fact that many of them are being released on the streets and are engaged in crime again. Absolutely. It's a terrible problem. It has to be addressed, obviously, at an earlier term, part in your in your life. When you first see the signs of this, um, public health authorities have to be able to catch it. But in the court context, 
I think it has to be the first time they step foot into the criminal justice system. There has to be screening procedures that, mm. that flag those cases so that those people are directed not to the nearest jail or prison, but to the nearest mental health facility when they can get the help that they need. And having these people mixed into the population at places like uh, Rikers is a horror show. It's the worst thing going. You know, what you need to do is get these people the help that they need before they turn into lifelong criminals. Do you remember the cases years ago? There was a, a fellow, I can't remember the name of the case, where he would go onto the subway and throw people on the track. And mm -hmm. yeah. he did things like this. He was a minor criminal. It happened over and over again until they finally figured out that this guy was, was had serious mental problems that deserved all kinds of attention. But it wasn't caught the first time this guy committed a minor crime. The system wasn't alerted and say, oh, don't send this guy to the nearest jail and let him out 20 times before he does something really terrible, like throw someone out on the tracks get him the help he needs or she needs at an early time in their lives before they become, do something terrible that hurts other human beings. So, Judge, you know, there are those who support smaller jails elsewhere, and they stress the elsewhere because, you know, <laughs> know. You know there are politicians as well. Oh, yes, we got to have them, but they don't want them near their homes. They don't want them in their neighborhoods. How do you... You know, how do you overcome that NIMBY attitude, not my backyard? Yeah, and, and this is a problem we had um, when we were doing the Rikers business. But we were able to educate people to the fact that jails don't destroy neighborhoods. Look at look at Brooklyn and the Brooklyn the jail facility. That's in the hottest real estate market, you know, in the city. And, and it doesn't hurt uh, uh, the local community. And what modern jails, when you built modern newer jails, not like the antiquated, antiquated facilities we have, they have light and air, they're modern looking, they have commercial space underneath. So this idea that, oh, yes, jails are great, but put them out of sight, away from us, that's how you get Rikers Island, out of sight out of mind. It's the worst thing going. The new theory is local, smaller jails that treat people like human beings. And we were able to overcome the NIMBY effect on the Rikers business by by educating people and by getting people to understand that, you know, Rikers was a stain on our city. And local small jails are are consistent with the ethos of our society and our morals and our Judeo-Christian tradition and culture. Um, it's 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 not it's not we're not serving the public by saying yes, let's put people away, but nowhere near where we can see them. Let's keep the czar far it, away it from us, work. like in Fiddler. <laughs> keep them far away yeah. from us. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. It doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. Wow. You took a lot of heat for the position, didn't you? I mean, there were those who attacked you, the commission, you know. Uh, Absolutely. When we first did it, it was the wildest, craziest idea in the history of the world. <laughs> but you know what? If you talk sense to people and you educate them and you really seek a common ground, you know, that, that, that can serve everybody's interests, I think you can succeed. And that's the perfect example of a public policy initiative where we – 
could not possibly conceive that we would have succeeded, but we did because people get it. If you if we stop with the tough on crime, soft on crime rhetoric and the political grandstanding, and we just talk about what's good for our society and our people and for humanity, and, and you know, based on our our the values that we all share, you know, I think we can do a lot of good in this world. You know, it sounds like common sense government to me. Uh, when we think these things through. It's unfortunate that so much has been politicized and hijacked by political agendas. You know, uh, Rev and uh, Judge, I was talking to one of the uh, executives in the prison system, state statewide, not city, and we talked about solitary confinement. And he said, you have to understand that there are people who cannot be part of the general population. They just can't, because the minute you put them in the general all kinds of crises arise. And he said, in solitary, it's not like we put them in a torture chamber. You know, they have access to phone, they have access to tablet. Um, What are your feelings on solitary confinement? I think if we don't go to extremes, we can figure out that issue too. I think that in general, in the criminal justice community, there's a consensus that solitary confinement is not a good thing in the abstract. You take some of these kids who wind up in there, are traumatized and come out and commit suicide and all the horrible things, uh, uh, you know, that we've seen. And yet at the same token, by the same token, there has to be a recognition that that you are not helping uh, this person, society, or certainly the other inmates or the corrections offices by putting people who cannot be in the general population, you know, in with everybody else. It's not, again, goes back to the Reverend, uh, what the Reverend just talked about common sense. This is not about political posturing. Yes, in general, not a good thing to put people in solitary confinement. But are there people who who just cannot be mixed into the general population? Of course there are. But hopefully and you forgive me for saying this again, God willing, it doesn't include, you know, fifteen year olds who are just beginning their life, who can never recover from it. You know, that was the, a lot of the controversy had to do with the juveniles and solitary confinement, you mm-hmm. know, and yeah. that's the, the problem. You remember the Khalif Browder thing and all mm-hmm. these kids who have been, are isolated and come out and it just messes with their very well-being. So I think, again, there's a common ground that we all can find. And Judge, on our show, you can say "God willing," "God bless," "God whatever." We are the Rev and the Rabbi right. here. Yeah, both of our traditions <laughs> respect that phrase. <laughs> Judge, right, right. I don't hesitate to say yeah, it with you all. You know. Yeah. And, and by the way, uh, what's interesting, Rev, is we sat with Judge Lippman at the Cardinal's residence, and he presented uh, on this issue to people mm-hmm. of different uh, beliefs. And I, and I think it's one of those rare moments where you find unanimity, uh, you know, in our community that people agreed there has to be a change. There has to be a constructive change. Let's stop with the slogans. Let's stop with the simplistic, you know, statements. Uh, and Judge has given much of his time uh, to a very thoughtful analysis and presented a plan. Uh, and status quo, Judge, is unacceptable. Nobody can, nobody can go through Rikers and say, this can stay as is. You don't have to change anything. Uh, you're not doing society a favor by maintaining Rikers in its present form. 
That's an obvious. It, it, it's it's a it's a it's a stain on our society. It's just a terrible thing. It can't people of of faith, of goodwill, of common sense cannot allow that kind of situation to continue. Yeah, yeah. Judge, what's a what's a technical violation? If if someone is late for a parole meeting, right, can that person go right. to jail. Yes, that's what's happening till just recently where the new governor signed the uh, Less is More Act. It means like if you fail to show up for a parole appointment or or you you blow your curfew, um, what they do or what they did do till this was signed, you immediately go to jail, which is ridiculous because you're getting people again who haven't done anything terrible and you're putting them in the midst of those horrible places. So that's being corrected. What do you do to them? The work of a, what should you what do? You, do? You, you, you monitor a, them. You, you monitor them. You, you know, they, they don't belong. They don't deserve to have their life traumatized because they missed a parole appointment. They do deserve to be held accountable to society and that they have to check in with their, uh, um, you know, whoever is overseeing their rehabilitation. Uh, but but to throw them into the jail population makes a bad situation worse because it increases the overcrowding and increases it with generally people who are not violent, you know, uh, people who have committed uh, violent crimes. And that's a mistake, and it's being corrected. And the number of people in jail have gone down already because of the passage of that new legislation and the uh, signing of it by, uh, by Governor Hochul. Yeah, Rabbi, it's about better systems, better processes. Yeah, yeah. We change that, and, and, and we can make a difference. And I think we found some bipartisan support here. When it comes to criminal justice reform, this is not one side versus the other in terms of the parties. Mm-hmm. There are people on both sides of the aisle uh, who recognize the need for change. Am I right, Judge? Yeah, I think there's a consensus, Rabbi, on on, on what— what should be done when you talk of criminal justice reform? That's kind of a, you know, a buzzword. But I think, again, people of goodwill and even people polarized politically, Republican, Democrat, um, you know, there's, there's no monopoly on common sense and good values. And even in the in the Congress, where, you know, they can't agree on anything. They passed uh, about a year ago a criminal justice reform act that that. Uh, um, you know, it's very much in keeping with a lot of things we've been talking about today, that uh, that mass incarceration doesn't work and doesn't help people. And, and let's save it uh, for people who really are threats to society. And so I, I agree with you, the partisan divide, to a significant degree, has been uh, bridged by, by uh, on this particular issue. Judge Jonathan Lippman, former chief judge. Would you, Rev, shouldn't he have like his own radio program? Judge, Judge Jonathan, he's got, he's Judge, got the voice. You know, Judge for Judy it. I mean, on TV. You know, yeah, Judge Janine. You're gonna have a J in your name to get the program. Yes, yeah, yeah, so Judge yeah, Jonathan. I, I, I think it's perfect. Yeah. Look. I, yeah, well, well, I'm I'm with the rabbi and the rev. <laughs> that, that that works for me. Yeah, you know, you know Judge, your show is a pleasure. Judge, I've known you many years, and one of the things I always felt about you is your your commitment is consistent. Uh, you've always been a a great spokesperson for doing that which is right, that which is sensible. Uh, years ago, you were that way. Today, you're that way. And uh, I've always uh, uh, thought that you are someone who really belongs in that public square and uh, 
does justice uh, in the in the most fitting fashion. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you both. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Judge, for being with us. And uh, I echo the words of Rabbi. Um, so you got to come back on the program. We've got uh, we'll always have My news pleasure. to talk about. <laughs> Anytime. A delight. Right. Take okay. care. Right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Stay tuned for more of The Rev and the Rabbi right here on 77 WABC. Reverend A.R. Bernard, Rabbi Joseph Potasnik, where faith matters. The Rev and the Rabbi. Talk Radio 77 WABC and the all-new WABCRadio.com. Welcome back. I'm Rabbi Joseph Potasnik. And I'm Reverend A.R. Bernard. You know, Reverend, it's, it's very encouraging to hear someone who speaks constructively, speaks about being sensible at a time in which we see extremism prevail in too many places. People on opposite sides, not able to find middle ground. And I think here there's an opportunity to really achieve something that will work for society, will work for the inmate. And again, no one is advocating, although there are those, you know, uh, the far left who say, you know, just let everybody out. You won't have the problem. That, that What a great solution. You know, how's that yeah. going to work out? <laughs> so but these people never come up with solutions. It's only, you know, it, it, it appeals to a certain constituency, perhaps, but it makes absolutely no sense. So, you know, you know, we need prisons. There are people going to commit crimes. But as he said, justice, justice. You have to use just means to reach a just conclusion. Wait, wait, wait. Say that again. That's a sermon right there. You have to use just means to reach a, to reach just, a just conclusion. conclusion. Yeah, that's why it says justice. Ju- you know, the question is, why does it say justice, justice twice? Why don't you just say justice, pursue? But it, it says justice you want to reach through justice. You don't do it by some extreme measure. Uh, and, and I think what the judge and the commission have proposed makes sense. Uh, and again, Uh, we've seen in Brooklyn, for example, the Brooklyn uh, House of Detention, which Mm -hmm. has been there for years and has had no negative impact on the community. And like he said, it's the hottest real estate market (laughs) in Brooklyn. I think it should be a requirement, though, that every legislator who proposes this, it should be near that legislator's home. Because you know what happens. They're all, (laughs) oh, yeah, yeah, great idea. Elsewhere, not not my not yeah. my uh, street, not not my backyard. Yeah, yeah. Whether, whether, no but he spoke of, you know, talking about a homeless shelter. Yeah, no, no, that's say, good, but not near yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. not no. Uh, look, uh, he spoke about balance, and that's the key to life: balance. Anything take here's a principle: anything taken to the extreme becomes error, even good things. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I just I think we need to listen to common sense and uh, not the people who rail on the internet who have no factual foundation, uh, but people in the know. And, you know, someone who's been a chief judge uh, and surrounds himself with good people, because you and I have spoken about this so many times. If you want to succeed, you better get some good people around you, appoint good people. Because if you're just going to be with people who are mediocre or just tell you what you want to hear, not what you need to hear, you know, this is a well-known Jewish blessing. You should have not what you want, you should have what you need. And, you know, mm. there are too many people who just go after the want. Oh, I just want to hear all the compliments, all the yeses. And that ends up uh, hurting you, not helping you. And some people confuse wants and needs. They they, they think their their wants are their needs. <laughs> you know, it's like and that's, take that's, parents. That's not going to work work either. You know, there, there are people who think, oh, I want to be 
you know, my, my kid's best friend. And as a parent, you're not there to be the best friend. You're there to be a person of authority, a person of example. Uh, you have to instill values. I mean, you and I, we, we live this. We know this. Uh, and, and there are too many people who want to dilute that, I find, and just want to maintain that it's more of a superficial, a popular, a popular kind of relationship. I want to be loved. I want to be liked, but in a popular way, rather than I want to be respected as well as loved. Exactly. Look, I raised seven sons, and all of them except for one are twice my size. I raised some big guys. <laughs> yes, That's why did. I traumatized them when they were yeah, little. Yeah, yeah. When they were little, I traumatized them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you know what but, I do? You know, I, I know your yeah, kids. I, I mean, you, 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 you have to be a model. And I told them, I said, look, I'm your dad. I'm not your buddy. There's yeah. a difference, yeah. and I have to be that voice of authority and guidance and model things for you and l- help you to learn from the good and the bad, my mistakes as well as my, as my successes. Well, we can't be buds. You know, I, I told that to some parents one day. I said, a kid who's 15 years old is not looking for a 35-year-old buddy. You know, that, That's right. That's not what they need. <laughs> they need someone they can yeah. look up to, someone they can respect. And, you know, as, as I look back my education, as well as my relationship with my parents, uh, I appreciate now teachers who were tough. Not then. Mm. <laughs> you know, the ones who really <laughs> were demanding, had rules. But as I got older, I said, those were the best teachers of all. And parents who have rules, demanding, are the best parents. You gotta, you gotta. You know, s- I heard it said, I, I, yeah, I was just gonna say, I heard it said that the, the, the greatest threat to freedom is freedom. Yeah. Yeah, we have to have boundaries in life. We 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 have to have rules. We have to have parameters. Otherwise, we we end up in bondage again, and that's very very real. Well, isn't it interesting you say that? Because as the Jews left Egypt, and how you have you know Passover freedom, immediately followed by Shavuot, uh, Pentecost. Pentecost is mm-hmm. all about rules, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. You can't yeah. you know that's freedom right. without rules is enemy chaos. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I, 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 but I think there are too many people who just, you know, they, they don't want to be the disciplinarian. Uh, and that if, if there's no discipline, you're going to be subjected to some real challenges in life. And, uh, you don't want kids who who grew up without discipline because then they impart that to their kids. That's why I like, it passes on. Yeah. I, I like what the judge said when he said that individual liberty is not absolute. Yeah. And too many think that it is, that we can do whatever we want. And that is chaos. Yeah. That is anarchy. That's, that's, that's I, disorder. I agree. And we can't live in that world. At least uh, I wouldn't want to. Uh, all right, Rev. I, by the way, I said to my son, I said, you know, I've often said to you, I want you to have the things that I didn't have. How many times a parent said, I want you to have what I didn't have. And I said, and when you have the things I didn't have, I'm moving in with you. <laughs> that's the home I want to live in. All right, yeah, you, know, you know, I was thinking, I, wait, wait, wait. You know, yeah. I, I was thinking about what we have and what we don't have. Someone asked me, you know, why do you see so many old guys driving sports cars, a Corvette and, you know, uh, right. uh, a um, some other, you know, Porsche or something right, like right. that. And I said, when they were young, they couldn't afford it. Yeah. <laughs> that's the By only the way, reason. Even with some of them, when they're older, they can't afford it, but they got to have it. Got to make those payments. <laughs> got to have it. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Listen, always a pleasure being with you. And uh, you know what I find when we're together? Uh, I, I learn. I learn from you. I learn from our guest. 
And isn't that what life is all about? It's constant learning and enriching who you are uh, because none of us uh, has all of the answers. But together we can find Absolutely. many of the answers. Yeah. All right, that's, next that's week. That's community right there. Right. We'll be back with more of the dynamic duo, the Rev and the... Rabbi. But next Rabbi. week. Rabbi, where are you, yeah. Rabbi? Where are you, Rabbi? I was thinking of next week. All right. <laughs> we'll be back together.